You're listening to Ignoring the Ordinary, a podcast from Wiser with Tom Patterson. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us on this Wiser Ignoring the Ordinary podcast. At Wiser, we believe when people have the courage to ignore the ordinary and do things differently, amazing things can happen. We think the most innovative and creative ideas come from challenging the status quo, ideas that can transform industries, shift mindsets, and bring real change to the world we live in. The Bridge Theatre has Ignoring the Ordinary baked into its DNA. The pressure was on as the first wholly new theatre of scale to be added to London's commercial theatre sector in 80 years. And opening in October 2017, its design is like no other that has come before it. Built with a focus on answering the needs of contemporary audiences and contemporary theatre makers, the 900-seat adaptable auditorium thrives on showcasing shows in new formats. And whether it be premiering entirely new productions, like My Name is Lucy Barton, a one-woman show by Elizabeth Strout featuring Laura Linney, or with intensely interactive retellings of classics like Shakespeare's Julius Caesar, the Electric Programme is catering to a new kind of theatre-goer. I'm here to talk with Rosie Knox, a production assistant from The Bridge. We'll be discussing how The Bridge Theatre has gone about building such an incredible presence in a short amount of time on the theatre scene, and why ignoring the ordinary has been so important for its success. Rosie, hello. Thank you so much for coming in to talk to us today. Oh, thank you for having me. No. I feel so honoured. I'm so excited. It is an absolute, absolute pleasure. Well, why don't we start with a little bit about where your love of theatre comes from? Um, so I have loved theatre since school and I was the same as everyone. I wanted to be in all the school plays, but also wanted to watch the older girls in the school <laughs> plays and it was like the cool thing to do. Um, and then I was just the person who couldn't let her childhood passion die. I just kept going with it, um, but realising very quickly that I'm the least talented actor, singer, dancer <laughs> and maybe a little bit better on the producing production side. And that is why I'm here now. <laughs> so did you kind of make that conscious switch then? Because you did, did theatre at university. Yeah, I think so. The degree I did at Warwick was very based in theory mm. and had lots of opportunities to sort of extracurricular to sort of produce your own theatre and have your own ideas. But I think very, very quickly, like in sixth form, I remember I just stopped auditioning for the shows and wanted to direct a show instead and produce things. And I always wanted to stage manage. And I think you very quickly know your place if you want to be part of the drama crowd, but not one of the people having to bear themselves on stage. <laughs> <laughs> and then I guess some people have to kind of leave that passion at uni um, and sort of move into the the other spheres of work. But you obviously didn't. You got to keep theatre going into your into your career and your working life. Yeah, it's a hustle. You have to work so hard. There's so few jobs. I had to, when I graduated, I did a year and a half, two years um, in accounting for a finance mm. team for Sonia Friedman and Ambassador Theatre Group. And that became sort of my route in is that there aren't as many theatre people or like, you know, creative types who also feel super confident to tackle numbers. And so that's sort of how I... Interesting. I think sometimes having your side route in yes. is a really good way to get where you want to be because you have that additional skill. And bringing those two together. Exactly. Bringing somebody who can like program, strategize, look at bigger pictures at the London theatre scene, but also get involved and yeah, creative and practical together is hopefully what I'm useful for. <laughs> and that passion that I guess kind of underpins everything. Exactly. And kind of what drew you to the bridge in particular then? Um, so I've been working commercial theatre since I graduated with ATG and SFP. Um, but the bridge was something completely new to have 
a job opportunity in a startup in the theatre world is just not a thing that yeah. happens. Like that's not, it's so difficult. You could be in a new project, but to have a whole new company, that is incredibly rare. So as soon as I saw it, I thought, you know, it'd be silly not to try for that. And then Nick and Nick, the co-founders, are sort of like legends in their theatre world. So even in my first interview, to be interviewed by Nick was just like, my, I was like, even if I just get an interview, this is worth doing because I've met one of my like theatre heroes. Wow, so you knew him by reputation. Yeah, so Nick Starr um, and Nick Heitner ran the National Theatre together for 12 years. Um, so they're just sort of like... Yeah, they're incredible at what they do and they know the theatre scene better than anyone. Um, so to be part of their future vision was amazing. It's been great. It's so funny that you use the word startup, but I guess that it kind of was when you joined. So it, it, yeah. it didn't exist. So now there's about um, 130 staff members who work for The Bridge. But when I started, there was eight of us in the office, including Nick and Nick, the co-founders. Wow. Um, so it was tiny. Eight to 130. It's been, obviously, you know, with a the theatre, we knew it was going to increase rapidly. Sure, but I was but... there before the storm, before we had a building, before we had like, you know, a finalised programme of more than three shows. I was there right from the beginning, which is incredible. I was so lucky. So lucky. Well, and talented and, you know... <laughs> There's a reason you got the job, I'm sure. But <laughs> it's incredible to be part of that from from the very beginning. And as you said, mm. they are kind of ultimates in their craft, aren't they, really? You can't have a better CV, 12 years at the National and then starting your own theatre. 100%. And I think it's there's something really interesting about, you know, I'm probably overgeneralising, it's not really a startup, but it was a startup in many ways in not having that hierarchy. And, you know, in the National Theatre, you have a thousand employees to expect a co-founder to hear what you have to say or what you watched on Netflix at the weekend yeah. and be interested yeah. to not have those boundaries as someone who when I joined you know I was 23 it, that just doesn't happen it was honestly extraordinary and I think it made the whole thing so dynamic and was so freeing for us as young people but Nick and Nick as people who run an outstanding building yeah to just be part of a small dynamic agile team again it, yeah it's liberating do you think that might have kind of helped with your development at pace then, I guess, during these last few years, oh, having that access. Gosh. Absolutely. I can't imagine, you know, I think I'll really struggle for, you know, wherever I decide to go next, going back into a bigger organisation, <laughs> well, because in many ways... Where's the managing director? Yeah. <laughs> Where is he? I'll just be like, um, why can this not happen right now? <laughs> like, why are there all these chains of command and authority? Because I've just been allowed to sort of pursue my own interests and be passionate about what I want to be and, you know, make myself do what I'm good at without all the rules yeah, to a certain extent. No. And, you know, there's more rules now as we're growing and things. But there's something... You know, I think it's almost, I don't want to use the buzzword, but a millennial thing of wanting to feel empowered in your 20s and be trusted to get that in an archaic industry like theatre with so many rules and so much hierarchy and so much, you know, you have to prove yourself and work hard and it's about who you know to sort of bypass that step and be some part of something different. I'm so lucky. Well, you're kind of already touching on, like I said, the whole theme of this is ignoring the ordinary. And it sounds like this yeah. was a very unique gem within perhaps a world that, as you said, is a little bit behind, perhaps, which okay. we'll definitely come on to talk on uh, a little bit more later. Sure. And as you were touching on, and as I said earlier, the bridge is the first new theatre to enter London's commercial sector in 80 years, which is <laughs> a massive amount of time. Yeah. Why before the bridge do you think it had been so long before another commercial theatre of this scale had actually mm. come to London? Well, commercial theatre, I mean, 
theatre is interesting anyway because of that divide between commercial and subsidised. Yeah. So in itself, you know, arts is tricky. How do you be commercial when you need backing, you need funding, which isn't the Arts Council? And how do you find investors or people with money or people who've generated their own money or have a business plan strong enough that they don't need government subsidy to take risk? Um, And I think it's just really hard. I honestly think that's what it is. Um, It's a really difficult thing to do. And as we said, theatre is archaic. How do you come up with a strategy or a business plan to take an art form, which has so many restrictions in terms of being live, in terms of, you know, the spectacle of our audience members have to have a seat. There's so many rules in theatre. How do you do something innovative and creative and dynamic that makes an investor want to invest in something artistic opposed to something more corporate maybe Mm. um so I think that's really difficult and also I think you know it's partly to do with probably art subsidy is so good in the UK I know you know people worry about it but actually you have the national and you have so many subsidized venues in London that are amazing yes in some ways that risk has already been taken in other areas I think what Nick and Nick or London Mm. Theatre Company and the bridge had which is quite special is that pairing of Um, venue innovation as well as production innovation and those are the two sides to theatre it's really like the venue operation and producing content and what they are you know aiming to do is to do both of those they wanted to create a brand new venue with brand new technology whilst also being dynamic dynamic in the art form which is a mission and then they themselves have such an amazing reputation that people could invest in them and trust them. So that's very interesting so you think the kind of physical proposition was a factor when it came to people considering to invest in this kind of initiative? I think that's what makes the bridge particularly interesting Mm. um, because, you know, you'll see it in London. You know, there are these beautiful theatres, but do you know the brand of the theatre? Do you know these Western theatres, you might recognise them, but actually, you know the play, you don't know the venue. Whereas with the National, sometimes it's the other way around and, you know, you have those members who know the national will see anything at the national you know the young this entry pass members who for seven pound fifty will see anything at the national and there's a loyalty to the venue and that's you know nick and nick coming from the national theater have almost copied that and said there's charm and there's business to be made in having a brand across the production and the venue um but that's so hard to do and it's hard to find uh, the right people who have passion for both you know there are so many producers and there are so many venue managers who can do a great job of smooth operations but finding people who want to border both those worlds Mm. they're actually so different they're different industries it's like hospitality versus you know art in many ways but you're absolutely right it is what makes the bridge very special because i've been to several productions there and it is it's that fusion you can't really think about the play being in any other space because it utilizes Mm. the space every time in a different way but in a way that feels distinctly like the bridge yes absolutely and it's that charm and it's the experience of it you know I think it's becoming more and more of a thing with like ATG and the cafes and the restaurants and the bookshops and what you get around theatres yeah. being able to start with a brand slate and say what's the atmosphere of this what food do we want okay we can pair up with St John this amazing restaurant and all of this the opportunity to start from a blank with a theatre in London is incredible because normally we're tied down by the restrictions of old buildings mm. and by existing structure and Um, architecture which is expensive and it is costly and is not practical in so many ways yeah 100 Mm. 
when you walk into the bridge, it's almost like you're, well, it is, it's like you're walking into a bar. You you wouldn't yes. necessarily go. In fact, if you ask people, you know, go down your list, what what is this space? Theatre actually would be probably quite far down the list. You could have a, a wonderful evening in that environment and then, you know, be surprised that it's actually a theatre as well. It's so Instagram, isn't it? Oh, it's, it's got so like the hanging Instagram. lights, the view onto Tower Bridge, like it's on the river. The location's ridiculous. Like, it's insane. You're right. And the massive, bold... Yeah. <laughs> text on the top again. Yeah. You can't miss that in a photo. No. Instagrammable is the phrase, I think. <laughs> yeah, no, it's beautiful. And they've done such an amazing job in like making that space feel more than what it could be. I think the really interesting other place to think about, I'm going to talk about the National Loads and I'm sorry, but the understudy bar at the National yeah, on South yeah, Bank. Yeah, yeah, 100%. There's something really clever about the fact you would never, I reckon there's so many people who drink there not knowing it's part of the National Theatre. It's just a bar in its own right. And I really think that... It's um, beautiful. Yeah, that business strategy as well of just like having, you know, people are scared of theatre and it's off-putting and it's stuffy. So how do you hide? How do you be proud of what it is, mm. but it doesn't matter what it is and it can operate in its own right? I think the understudy at the National has done an incredible job of that. It's open till like two in the morning. There's always like DJs and stuff. It's amazing. Oh, the crowds are insane. I mean, the, the location obviously helps with the South Bank, but you're yeah. absolutely right. It is a brand in itself. People say, do you want to go to the understudy? Not, do you want to go to the National exactly. for a drink? It's just clever. It's clever business. Yeah. And the name as well is just like that little but, nod as well, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. It's like, are you, in, you know what we mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you kind of already touched on this, but as the new the new face on the block, what role do you see the bridge playing in London's theatre scene? So, I mean, it's hard because there's so much theatre in London. I think what the bridge tries to do and what London Theatre Company is the wider company yeah. are trying to do is sort of keep it up to date and keep challenging the status quo on what we can do and how hard you can push things. And the idea that, you know, you can't be innovative in theatre for many reasons. Um, like innovation's kind of topical in art anyway, because you could say every project is innovative because everything is new. Um, but what they're saying is that know this strategy behind this and how do you be interesting? How do you get big names? How do we get new audiences? How do you keep pushing an art form? that in so many ways has been trying to be pushed for years. Like, how do we keep this fresh? How do we keep it relevant? How do we keep it exciting? Um, it's like a long game. It's like, how do we keep competing? Um, and that's lot. hard as well, isn't it? I mean, like you said, when there's so much choice out there, you've got to, got to bank on people coming back as well to kind of yeah. build up this picture in their head through the things that they're seeing. Yeah. But you've got an incredible programme as well that is rapidly evolving I mean how many weeks would you say the kind of normal run is at, at the bridge so anywhere a run can be anywhere between sort of a month to three months mm. um I think in the bridge is kind of it's about being dynamic and creating new content all the time so you wouldn't really want to have something longer than three months because by then you want to have new ideas and you want to generate new hits and new things and oh, yeah. you know if you're generating a new project there's no reason why that couldn't transfer, why it can't come back. We've had Lucy Barton yes, come back. Course. If you've had a hit, that doesn't mean it dies. So why would you not keep generating and moving fast with your programme? But it's really funny because you must often, if you've got a massive hit on your hands <laughs> yeah. you know, and it's selling out every night, there must be almost uh, a desire to kind of fall back on that. You know, yeah. there's a temptation, I guess, to just keep running because mm. it's obviously doing so well. I think that's the thing that's, you know, to be honest, that's a criticism that's quite openly out there of the bridge is, you know, 
we've done an Alan Bennett and we've just had Maggie Smith. And at the moment, well, we've got Maggie Smith at the moment. And at the moment, there's that thing of how, what do you rely on and how far mm. do you push? What's the, you know, where are you pushing? Where are you pulling back? Where are things that you can guarantee are going to be successes sure. versus where are things that are more challenging? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, they've done really, really well. It's exciting. Huge names, huge storylines, great storytelling. Well, Maggie, that is an incredible catch for you guys, because how long has it been since she's been on the London stage? 12 years. I think Lady in the Van was the last thing. I mean, incredible. She, she's and it's 84. Open... She's 84 and she's doing um, five weeks every night. Um, and it's an hour 40 and it's just her straight through. She just talks to the audience for an hour and 40. It's a feat and it is amazing. And rave reviews are here already. Well, yes. of course, but still yeah. amazing. And I'm assuming that's sold out mostly. It is completely sold out. Yeah. Apart from today, Tick's Lottery, obviously. Mm, obviously. Uh, obviously. But yeah, that sold out really, really fast before press night even happened. I mean, she's such a star. and it Yeah, was... of course. I'm seeing it the week after next, I think. And I can't, cannot wait. Yeah. And to have an adaptation of a documentary, people don't normally do that. So that's interesting. Very much looking forward to it. I'm excited. So thinking, think. thinking for a little bit then about kind of the wider landscape that the bridge um, sits in. Mm. You know, we see headlines sometimes around reduced audience sizes, rising ticket prices. What do you think some of the biggest kind of challenges that theatre is facing today are? I mean, huge question. Mm. Um, I think a really surface level one is how many different forms of entertainment there are. Yeah, I think it's a very good one. Theatre is so historical and... You know, there wasn't much going on, like, you know, in Shakespeare's time, that was all, you know, mm. that's what you did. Whereas now you've got Netflix and you've got things that are cheaper and there's so much content and so much amazing storytelling, left, right, centre, like podcasts, radio, just everywhere. Um, that there's a challenge to keep it fresh. And with new theatres coming all the time, how how do you win an audience? What do you do that's different? Um, also the scale of theatre, like, Theatre relies on people. You don't make yeah. a one-off product. You have running costs the whole way through a show. You've got actors to pay and stage managers to pay and tech crew to pay and front of house people to pay. Once you've rehearsed a show, it's in no way finished. Um, so you have to sustain a long run and you have to get, you know, in terms of marketing, you can't just market a show on press night and then expect it to sell. You have to sustain that project for months and months and months. Of course you can't rely on it. Um so I think it's just keeping competitive. I think that's really, really hard. And finding new audiences and finding the stories and the performances that will make people come out and see it, opposed to watching Homecoming on Netflix, which, you know, obviously, how could you not do that? Because I guess, <laughs> I mean, that I mean, theatre's physicality, I guess, is its kind of blessing and its curse, isn't it? Because yeah. it is so special to have something live in front of you done by people in real time you know that that is something that you cannot get many places but of course you know the, the benefits of netflix and other streaming services etc are that it is accessible anywhere in the world if you've got a laptop mm. so i guess you know it, it's what sets it apart but i guess is what also perhaps sets it behind as well those kind of other more accessible platforms, I guess. And I think in many ways, you know, the turnaround time on theatre is long and it's, you know, if you're, where do we get our ideas from? If you're a writer nowadays and you're young, how do you scale up your writing to be from a black box studio and sort of the fringe to being on a huge stage? Like how do those writers get tra 
trained to work on large scale things. Whereas, you know, film writers and film students are always at that scale. They're always on the scale of what is it to write a film? How do I write a short film yeah, on a big yeah, scale? Yeah. I feel like there's a real challenge in, you know, finding that content and making content on a large scale and knowing how to find a hit or know what's successful. I think it's really difficult. Yeah, because I guess perhaps this is a naive viewpoint but like with writers for shows for example especially in America when they're you know getting them out Mm. so often if you're a successful writer in the US you can I'm guessing hop between uh, writers rooms far more frequently than perhaps Mm. you can do in the theatre world as well because as you said they're they're bigger productions they're less frequent there's less on offer I guess yeah so that kind of training perhaps is is a little stilted yeah I think it's hard as well you know how people get trained in theatre there's a lot for performances but it's even you know think of musical theatre think what's happening in America with Hamilton and all their rise if they've got this new musical wave that's happening yeah um and I feel like this is such a personal opinion but it feels like the UK is still catching up we're not at that level yet we haven't had that surge of the big new musical that's come to us yeah. um, there have been loads of smaller successes but we haven't had the Hamilton so something's missing here because everybody loves those shows but we haven't managed to get it you're so right i mean i guess wicked didn't debut here but that was that was Mm. the last one that i can think of that really was just like everyone has to see did that start in america though as well yeah yeah oh yeah yeah, i think it transferred so you're right and i still think the the gap times are bad still you know i've only just got waitress which was obviously i guess 18 months ago we haven't even got dear evan hansen yet we're still waiting for dear evan hansen frozen's coming i think so we're still we're receiving as like a theatre community, our West End to Broadway, we're just receiving the Broadway hits at the moment. Yeah, it's so funny when we complain, like, again, going back to streaming, like with Killing Eve, we're all furious yes. that we have to wait two months uh, behind the US to I get season furious. two. Yes. As am I. <laughs> but with theatre, it's even worse. Like, it's mm. you're looking at 18 months, I guess, 24 perhaps with Dear Evan Hansen for the massive hit. Yeah. We just have to know we had Harry Potter, so we, we really win there. Did. Yeah. <laughs> HP you're right well maybe actually that was I mean that was quite special wasn't it obviously in terms of what they did yeah and will be on forever I think finally people can just actually buy a ticket rather than waiting till 2022 but I might be wrong with that <laughs> so I guess I guess sticking on the point of innovation then you know we are seeing when it comes to entertainment rapid innovation in many areas we keep talking about streaming, but obviously it is a huge thing that has changed how we consume entertainment at home. Do you think the theatre scene in London is doing enough to remain relevant in culture? Or could they be doing better? Could they be innovating smarter, do you think? Um, so I just did, I was just at Birkbeck at their business school mm. and my dissertation was essentially on uh, the buzzword of innovation and how that sits um, within the UK theatre scene and just sort of questioning whether actually it had any place, like is it possible and where do we find it? Because it's so hard to pin down the difference between innovation and creativity and what that means. Um, so to apply innovation to art form is so difficult and Um, The main things that I came up with when I was researching and I did loads of interviews with different people was NT Live. And then there's all these technical developments in terms of lighting, sound, amps. There's so much innovation happening backstage that we don't even think about. Um, But in terms of the art form, it's really hard to define what that innovation is. So in terms of looking at, you know, is the London theatre thing or even the UK theatre thing innovative? In many ways, no. Like in many ways, it's really trapped by what it is. 
Um, and if there is innovation, it's really slow and it's really incremental and it's small changes that are gradually making us bigger. The only thing that really hit the theatre scene and sort of shook it up innovation-wise was NT Live. Mm. And the idea that you could um, put two art forms together, which is cinema and theatre, and make a commercial success out of it. And it kind of... Im- pushing those two art forms together you're breaking the core art form of both of them but it went pretty good it looks amazing yeah what do you think like was there a fear then do you think about the kind of purity of the art forms is that what perhaps held people back from from trialing that previously because it was still quite it wasn't that long ago actually that national you know national theater live was introduced no it's so recent um so david sable who created nt live at the national theater um he was one of the founding people at london theater company in the bridge he'd worked closely with nick and nick before um so we were really lucky in that we had nt live come in for our first show because he was really comfortable with it yeah um and from what i can gather i mean not an expert at all but Theatre had been filmed previously, but it just hadn't been filmed well. I mean, you can go into any archive, like the National or the RSC, and you can watch any of the old productions, but it's on one steady cam. It's tucked to the back of, like, Gallery 2. Um, Heads bopping. Yeah, the sort of thing, the sound is on and off and the colours aren't great. Um, Whereas what NT Live did was it treated it like a spectacle. And you have so... I don't know if you've ever been to an NT Live recording when it's happening in the audience. Oh, it is incredible they have this massive satellite van that sits in the car park all the cameras are moving and on massive equipment um they do like rehearsals with the actors obviously they do the trailer it's very much it's a huge thing yeah and i think sort of giving it seeing filming theater is not a cheap win to make more money and to be like oh we have the content so we'll just film it and Mm. put it in cinemas and try and get some more ticket sales that's not what they've done they said how can we make this experience better through film how can we give them something an angle or a shot that captures what it was but shows it in a light if you weren't there in the audience and I think that's where the charm is and maybe even for people who were in the audience might want to see it on screen for an entirely different experience oh my, so every NT Live we've done at the bridge I've asked to sit in a restricted view seat behind the camera operator so I can watch what they're doing because it is wow, fascinating wow. so it's kind of created an art form in its own right I really think so and it challenges things so um, our production of Julius Caesar was immersive it had 400 people standing in the crowd every night I was, it was one of in them the ra- yeah you were I was indeed <laughs> um, but filming that they'd never filmed anything like that before because as camera operators, they had to battle through the crowds too of the audience. And it was, they just wow. take the challenge. It's just impressive. And I don't think theatres had that shakeup for a while. No, you're right. And it's incredibly successful as well. I yeah. think and really popular across across all of the UK. Was it Warhol's well, that was the it's first It's worldwide one? as well. So whenever we've had um, NT Lives, we've had people, you have like Australia watching it, America watching it, Germany. It goes across the world. In cinemas. In cinemas across the world. Um, sometimes with a time delay, sometimes at the same time. But I think what it actually does for like, Brit- like UK culture and what yeah, people yeah, think yeah. of the creative industries... That's incredible. The fact that people can be abroad and watch it and go, this is what's happening in London. It's, you know, the most amazing PR advice for like, you know, our government basically and tourism and what we are in so many ways. It's huge. It's so wide stretching. Well, going back to that, what I was saying earlier about, you know, the physicality being a restriction, this kind of lifts that in so many ways, doesn't it? Absolutely. But then obviously it takes something away. Otherwise people wouldn't still come. Of so course it's it does. so yeah, it's hard. But that's why the live element, I guess, is mm. so important to to it. Yeah, absolutely. 
thinking about the, the program then at the bridge, so you've got a, a very fast-moving program schedule, as, as we talked about. What do you think the bridge looks for when considering a production to actually bring to the stage? So, so the bridge is sort of mantra or vibe is about um, new writing and adaptation. Yeah. However, saying that, um, Julius Caesar and the Midsummer Night's Dream, which is coming up this summer, um, are huge hits to sure, be and sure. were huge hits. So I think it's about trying to do something different. And so even in doing Shakespeare, like the Julius Caesar... It was presenting that immersive format and saying, we've built a space that can put you in an environment that nowhere else can. Mm. And so we might be doing Shakespeare, but we're still innovating and we're still being creative and we're still challenging you as an audience, just as much as if we put you in a brand new play and you walked in and, you know, it's a Mark McDonald play that you know nothing about. And there's just a box swinging on stage and you don't know what's about to happen to you. It needs to be... It doesn't just have to be the script that is challenging. Yeah. It can be some. There can be other elements that just make the audience step back and wonder what's going on. Um, but I think the heart of it is just really good storytelling. Um, it's just knowing that people want to sit down and that they'll be engrossed and engaged. And there's nothing more than that. Whether you have you know Maggie Smith talking for an hour and forty, or you have an Alan Bennett show with a cast of like pensioners in an old people's yes. home doing a can can on stage, like you know storytelling comes in all those forms. But it's about how can we tell the best story and what stories are out there that nobody else is going to tell right now. What can we lay claim to? What have been some of your favourite productions that have come so far? Oh my gosh! So I feel like. I mean, you can hear it in what I'm talking about. Julius Caesar just made us all giddy. We were just so, it was our second show and we were just so excited at like what had happened. Yeah. Um, and so that show started with like a music gig and you would just go in and the energy was high and there were beers in the pit and it was just an explosion of, you know, what I've been taught Shakespeare was at university and stuff. And it just was exciting. Laura Linney was incredible and my name is Lucy Barton and that was just like after all these large scale shows we had to just yeah. have such a quiet piece with such an incredible actress Yes, just was really powerful and it was just you know we sc everything was scaled down and it was just beautifully done and that's sort of all you need um, to which do is that. amazing those kind of polars like you said can be yeah. equally powerful you can have a rock band in the pit and you can have <laughs> you know a three time Academy Award nominee on the stage alone exactly. and that's, that's all you need exactly and we've talked about technology and you know National Theatre Live the bridge is embracing new technologies mm. you mentioned Todaytix earlier and I do think they are really bringing something fresh and new to to the, the industry would you would you agree we love Todaytix um, they are just dynamic and what they're doing is making theatre an on-demand app thing so for us mm. uh, you know, the main goal is to sell tickets in many ways. Yes. Um, and we can see how people are buying tickets and people buy a lot on their laptops, they buy a lot on their phone, uh, on their tablets. But on their phones, you'll sort of look at a web page and you'll come back to it later. And every time that people do that, we're losing an opportunity to buy because they might get distracted by something else or they might think of something better to see or they might just forget and then the show's sold out. So... What Todaytix is helping us do, which is like an ongoing thing, is trying to work out how you can get those sales through mobile and how can you create demand and create intrigue and actually their lottery and how the app works. Yeah, yeah. It, it makes you engaged. It's always got new offers. Things change. You get emails and it keeps people really, it makes theatre seem like something you can do with one click. Whereas 
you know, that's what's off-putting. Normally when you do mobile, you went, oh, I don't want to do this on my tiny screen. I don't want to book a ticket. I don't want to put my card number sure, in. Sure, sure, sure. So if things like TodayTix or PayPal or Apple Pay, if there are other ways to try and get that one-click process happening on a transaction, mm. that's sort of the next step. And what that does is get a whole new generation of people in because, you know, an older generation are going to call, still that people still call the phone line and they still book that way or they go onto their computer. How do we tap into the people who you know, are a little bit more dynamic and do everything on their phones. Yes. It's through people like Datix and companies like that who have just got there first and they've done it well. I mean, and I think it's always so smart. Like, I think I heard to, about Datix first through a podcast advert, which again mm. is just such smart placement because you're already yes. on your phone listening to the podcast. They yes. know it's a more millennial audience who might benefit from using the app. Yeah. But it's amazing, the deals, as you said, the lotteries. And I do think it has allowed for kind of the fact that you can get tickets on the day, you know, mere hours before the show from a, a menu that you can just peruse through theatres across the whole country. You know, it really has allowed for that kind of spontaneity that I think you can do with the cinema. You know, you can mm. go to a cinema and sort of go, what do I want to see? Oh, good. This is on in 20 minutes. You can do the same thing, you know, with theatre for the first time, I think. And also they've got a lucrative deal. They get those rush tickets that they have on the daily lottery they have those for sold out shows. That deal's done at the beginning. So right now, the only way you can get tickets for a German life at the bridge is through to Datix or through returns. So, you know, it works in both ways because they're creating demand for us on shows that need a push. Yeah. You know, for example, um, for Midsummer Night's Dream that's coming up, we have that standing element again of we need to get 400 people in the pit. And those people are expected to be part of the show in many ways, not in an intrusive way, but we need them to move yes, and be dynamic yeah. and energetic and with a beer in hand. So how do we find those theatre goers? Well, those theatre goers are the people who want to buy a ticket for £15 on the day and not plan. So we need people like to date it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we're trying to get those new people in. At the same time, they now have a great deal because they're getting so many hits to the site for people who are desperate for our sold out show. So their business plan just creates really good communications, alliances, you know, real trust with venues, which operates in both ways and is so mutually beneficial um, and from experience, they're just really nice, excited, positive, enthusiastic people, which is all you need, you know? And also, I guess, a, a level playing field for perhaps some of those smaller theatres as well that perhaps yeah. wouldn't have the mouthpiece that you guys have, but they mm. appear as equals to you guys on the same kind of, it's almost a news feed, isn't it, really, on it, the app? Yeah, it is a feed, actually. It's just the same when you just go scroll down. scroll through. Yeah. Look at that scrolling motion. <laughs> but I do think, do you think what kind of, on on the eve of a backlash in some respects because there has this kind of app and innovation has caused a pay disparity when it comes to actual uh seat prices you know so you could be yeah. sitting in a in a seat that you've really smartly got on the day through today takes for 35 pounds maybe 25 even 15 and you're yeah. sitting next to somebody who has paid four months in advance 115 you know for, for yeah. the same ticket do you think people are going to catch on to the fact that actually there's there's a real variety going on yeah i think well okay so those today ticks tickets you can't always guarantee where you're going to be so sure, i've done today sure. ticks where i've been in gallery three or you're in the stalls or you're in the front row yeah. or you've got like the top premium price seats that they've been generous to and i think what you're paying for you know when you pay full price is that security you've bought a ticket two months in advance all of us who are the cheapskates who are looking for the deal, myself included, yes, yes. we take a risk. We might not get those seats. You're right. And we might not get those seats for the whole run. They might never come up. 
So do you want to pay for the security of knowing you've got it? And also, do you want to pay, you know, if you're taking your family or your friends, you're not all going to get in on a lottery system. I think in many ways, you know, there's a limit to how many of those tickets go on that way. But, you know, I think, I wonder where those lotteries came from. I think it was Hamilton. Yeah. Was it the Hamilton lottery that was Probably, first? Or that Book was... of Mormon had one? Book of Mormon had one, didn't it? But the Hamilton one was, you know, you had... Uh, rumours of just queues that started yeah. at the crack of dawn went down all of um, all of all of Times Square basically trying yeah. to get tickets. So you're right; that's perhaps what sparked the kind of widespread yeah, digital lottery. The sold out show thing. That's just interesting, isn't it? How mm. that has now become, you know, they're doing those lotteries not even for sold out shows. It's now for the ticket deal. Yeah, and it's, everyone loves to yeah. win, don't they? So even if yeah, you the might glory. not. Of getting that twenty pound seat in the stalls. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or the, even the front row lottery. I, 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 yeah, I love that. Yeah, no pricing is really difficult, and I think it's difficult mm. for young people. So we have like a young bridge scheme, which is um, really similar to National Theatre's Entry Pass. And I think there's some acknowledgement in there of like theatre needs to have different people in the audience, and we need to keep attracting new audiences. Yeah. Um, because if you buy them in when they're in their early twenties or their teens. Hopefully when, you know, they're in their 30s and 40s, they'll be the people who go, oh, I'll pay 40 quid for a ticket now. And I really feel like, yeah, you know, I really feel like having that exposure to theatre at a young age is actually, it's almost like an investment in a future audience. And um, this is such a personal opinion. Like, who knows if the data proves that that's true or sure, not. Sure, sure. Um, but, you know, there is something in there which is like, this isn't just for now. This isn't just to fill empty seats. This is to promise something to people and to buy their loyalty and to buy their trust in us as a show. Forever, really. Well, it speaks to an understanding, doesn't it? Because the Young Bridge Initiative is sort of saying, look, guys, I know you you know, might not be able to pay these prices now, exactly. so we're going to help you. But hopefully yeah. when you can, you know, you'll pay, you'll pay more in exactly. the future. Well, thinking about the makeup then of the audiences, I know that accessibility is a big thing at mm-hmm. the bridge. Mm-hmm. You know, you guys have got a variety of different uh, initiatives. So captioned performances you guys do, don't yeah. you? Audio described performances. Yep, we have touch tours and things like that. Um, there's always accessible seats for physical disabilities mm. or um, any, you know, you can take... That's one of the beautiful things as well about how the bridge has been built is sure. all of those chairs can be unscrewed manually before every show so you can fit anyone in. You can be really flexible with how you make your space. Um, so all of that stuff is so important. And I think just because you're a commercial venue doesn't mean that those things shouldn't be happening. There's a really positive vibe. You know, there's an access committee at the bridge, which has people who are on the bar to people in head office where people just discuss, you know, what do we need to do? How do we make this better? How do we talk to our customers better? Because these people, you know, if you need an access performance, there's some amount of nerve about what you're going to get and what are you going to be promised and what your experience is. The normal theatre, you know, the average theatre goer doesn't face that fear all the time of what they're going to get. So it's about communication and like briefing your box office and your team so thoroughly that everybody feels really willing and warm to give people the experience they need to give that reassurance and passion and just to make it a normal thing. Like it's not, it shouldn't have to be extra work and it shouldn't have to be something that's really stressed and really important that we're bragging about. Like it's just has to happen, doesn't it? Well, it's the beauty of a contemporary space, like you said, you know. There's so many theatres that aren't accessible because perhaps 80, 100 years ago they weren't. It wasn't on the agenda. It wasn't the priority to make yeah. it accessible to all. I always think that with the old theatres, I'm like, how do compared to the bridge, I'm like, how do the lifts work? I'm always curious about how you get people around because I think for us it's just been second. The theatre's been Shh, built to be course, accessible. Of course, um, But it really isn't that easy. I don't think, you know, I think a lot of theatres are held 
you know, people held them really accountable for how difficult it is. But it is difficult. There are so many physical restrictions and monetary, like financial restrictions on trying to do these things. Um, But if you can, obviously it should be happening. 100%. Mm. And I guess one kind of big topic that we haven't touched on yet, kind of explicitly that's sort of being talked about quite a lot at the moment is is representation in the media. Um, And it's something that artists appear to be being pushed on harder and harder to get right. Um, And it's something that theatre has historically struggled with perhaps the most. Mm. How important is representation at the bridge? it's very important Mm. obviously um yeah like it's really tough because I think ultimately you wish you're in a world like this is personal opinion again but you wish you're in a world where actually just the best person for the job always gets it and you wouldn't need to put in these restrictions these quotas anything like that because it would just be a situation where the best team to do a project or the best audience is just a diverse one um and that you wouldn't have to think about it I went to see Waitress and I happened to be at the press night so there was a speech afterwards and um Sarah Bareilles yes um at the end just just a shout out to Sarah um she was like she stood in the front and she looked down she went oh yeah and we're an all-female creative team but it wasn't planned like that it just happened Mm. and I was like yes I love how she's done that she's just like oh it's by coincidence not Mm. planned whereas I think there's still that thing where there's a pressure to prove yourself because we have to because it's so important and because it should be talked about yeah but at the same time where's that balance of you know just doing what's right for the projects and the places um yeah, the bridge um, often gets criticised quite openly about just being plays by white men, which is a lot of theatre in London. That's yeah. just like, you know, if you go on Twitter, there's a lot of people angry about that. Well, and the National had a big yes, pushback, exactly. didn't they, recently as well? Was it one only one female writer? writer? Yeah, and then something there was something about directors as yeah. well, low female directors. Not good representation, basically, when it comes to female talent in the newly announced uh, season. Yeah, which is, it's unacceptable. Mm. But, you know, it's about future commissions as well. And it's about work. you know, what I've really learned in the past two years being at the bridge is that, you know, commissioning new work is hard. And, you know, you don't know when things are going to land and you don't know how programs are going to turn out. And I'm so ready to argue against the white man theatre thing. Like, I am there. I'm at the front. I'm angry about it. But now I've been more on the other side. I think it's a really difficult thing to do. It's so hard. And, you know, it's kind of what I said about earlier about that scaling up. How do we train people and women? Like we're all ready. So how do we help us finesse our craft? So, you know, it's we don't have to talk about it anymore. Like we're there. We're up there with the men. There was no question about it. There's a lot of like infrastructure problems that lead to... Rufus Norris at the National having to face angry people on Twitter and angry letters. You know, that's not all on him as an individual choosing other white men. There's a lot going on um, from what I can see. But I think it's something to stay angry about and to stay passionate about until it's changed. But I think it's hard work. No, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. No, God, absolutely. <laughs> well, I guess I guess pushing into the future then, like you, like mm. you have just sort of talked about, this is a very big question. Uh-oh. How do you see theatre changing over say in the next 50 years? That is a huge question. I think that, I think 50 years is a long time. From what I've seen so far, theatre changes slowly and incrementally mm. and it's it's about small changes. It's about, you know, for example, um, you know, tech developments, small tech developments like LED lighting and it's about, you know, flexible spaces yeah. and it's about new environments and I wonder if there will be a growth in realising that as much as we love our West End venues and the beautiful ceilings and the old seats and the charm of it, if that's 
for tourists. And actually, there needs to be a new wave of venues and artists that can work in a different way and that we need to not aspire to these older art centres and these old ways of working. And we need to find new... I don't think it's just about the art. I think it's about infrastructure and I think it's about strategy and it's about how do we make theatre a business and it's things like the understudy and it's pairing it with other things and it's sort of finding and training, you know, who am I to say this, but training young people in theatre that treat it with respect as a business. Like you don't have to be corporate to try and understand your industry and how can we make this more flexible because we can't just do Harold Pinter plays forever. (laughs) There's my wise words. Talking. Well, I get no. <laughs> so I guess your hope and your probably belief is that it won't be another eighty years until we see another new commercial theatre on the scene. No, no, I certainly hope not. Rosie, this has been completely fascinating. Thank you so much for coming in to speak <laughs> Thank to me you today. For having me. Honestly, I cannot wait to see uh, from an actual seat in the theatre how <laughs> the bridge continues to develop uh, in the years to come. So thank you so much again. Thank you.